Hello and welcome to this episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, a retired police lieutenant with 34 years of police service, the author of A Cop's Life, and the founder of The Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, you will be watching this on, uh, on our YouTube or on AmericaOutloud.com. It's also heard on iHeartRadio. So we're going to get right into it. This show is all about uh, law enforcement, from a law enforcement perspective, of course. And there is never a shortage of topics to talk about. Uh, later on in the show, we'll have an amazing guest who is uh, be joining me in the interview room. But let's, I want to talk to you. We're, we're starting a brand new year. Uh, this is the first show of the year. This is uh, one of the first in the new format that we're utilizing. Uh, I hope that you like it. And if you want to connect with me and you have suggestions, contact me on Facebook at the Voice of American Law Enforcement there. Now, we ended the year 2021 on a very somber statistic, and that is uh, 480 American law enforcement officers lost their lives gave their lives in the line of duty. Uh, many of those were from COVID-related deaths, uh, uh, but the number of murders of law enforcement officers rose dramatically in 2021. And even more um, uh, frightening for the American law enforcement officer is the number of ambushes that took place, number of ambush murders and shootings. So we're seeing a, a very, very evil trend taking place and that is the uh the the somber statistic of line of duty deaths but i also want to talk about another statistic one that is that is uh, astounding and that's the number of law enforcement officers who are being physically assaulted in the line of duty let now this the the actual statistics for 2021 are not in yet they usually they are reported by the fbi but from what we do know, the, the number will exceed 60,000. Now think about that for a moment. 60,000 law enforcement officers being physically assaulted in the line of duty. Those physical assaults include shooting, stabbing, being beaten, hit with bricks, hit with rocks, hit with uh, all types of objects, uh, kicking. You, 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 there, there's a myriad of ways. Uh, and and uh, these officers, uh, some of these result in fatalities, others result in, in disabling injuries. And let's examine, let's examine why. Um, what we have seen nationally is the defund the police movement, demoralizing police officers, demonizing police officers, and at the same time reducing the consequences or eliminating to altogether the consequences for committing criminal activity, violent criminal activity. And, and who suffers? It, does the American law enforcement officer suffer? Absolutely. But the American law enforcement officer is there to protect the people. So if the police can't protect themselves, how do they protect you? How do they protect me? And, and this is resulting in, uh, in, a, in a surge of crime, I'm, in fact, I'm going to not just call it a surge in crime, I'm going to call it a tsunami of crime across America, where we are seeing the violent 
uh, offenders literally uh, taking over the streets in some of America's largest cities. The homicide rate in, in our major cities is absolutely through the roof, record setting. And why? Because of the, the uh, media's uh, uh, hatred of law enforcement, which is, which is irrational, but it is reality. Um, mainstream media fails to report on the uh, instances of, of uh, violent criminal activity that refuses to uh, examine the, the reasons behind it. And so it falls to the, the people who are willing to, to stand up and say, here's what's going on. We have to become activists ourselves, each of us. Each of us in that, that, that um, you know, is a citizen of this nation. Um, we can't just stand by and allow ourselves to be victimized and allow ourselves to be less safe because of, of the um, agendas of politicians and the um, media bias that is literally taking place across America. So let's talk about this in real world terms, okay? Here's a, uh, here's a headline. 2021 ends as Chicago's deadliest year in a quarter century. Police Superintendent David Brown said the bulk of the homicides are the result of conflicts between rival gangs. This is really important information, and we'll discuss why in a minute. The year of 2021 ended as, this is from an Associated Press article, by the way, ended as one of the most violent on record in Chicago as a rising number of shootings left more people dead than in any single year in a quarter century. According to the department, 2021 ended with 797 homicides, as 25 more than were recorded in 2020, which was also an incredibly violent year. And uh, there were 3,561 shooting incidents. That's, that's a staggering number. Um, now, when you, when you think about this, and the police superintendent um, was actually, I'm kind of surprised that, that he put it in such blunt terms. This is results of gang activity. Now you would think that law enforcement would be given all of the tools necessary to put criminal offenders, especially gang members in prison, but that's far from the reality. What is taking place in Chicago and many other places is the a lack of, of a resolute prosecution and city government um, to combat violent crime and gang, uh, uh, and gang homicide and gang shootings. Um, many of the tools that, that law enforcement needs to combat this have been taken away. For instance, a, a database, a simple database that, that um, law enforcement uses to track gang members and gang movements, right? You would think that this is pretty much a no-brainer, wouldn't you? That there would be a database that law enforcement could utilize to say, okay, uh, Joe Brown, AKA Skinny Boy, is a member of uh, Southside Crips. And uh, the last contact we had with him was such and such date. This, is, this was no normal policing 
when the crime was was being lowered okay this was the result of good policing in that um that law enforcement officers were making stops on gang members whether either um foot stops where you know in in gang infested areas or car stops that that uh, the gang members were riding around in vehicles and and being and being um uh chronicled in the in the gang databases so that crimes could be solved for instance suppose a um, uh, in this database it revealed that that uh, a certain set of of uh of gang members were in an area where there was a reported um, gang drive-by shooting. Well, you would correlate these, and you would. You, this was this was then called good policing, and then trying and solve the the crime by utilizing all the tools at your disposal. Well, here's what's happened: these gang databases have been ruled um, to be uh, unfair or um, racist by by the, uh, the, the, the politicians who run these cities. And therefore they've been taken away in many instances. It's absurd, but it is reality. So, so law enforcement, and we're looking at, at, at Chicago, uh, law enforcement hands are, are be, being tied. And then Lori Lightfoot, the mayor, blames the police for the crime. And this is what is happening in many of the major cities. Now, I, I wanted to bring up Chicago because of, of an incident that occurred just last week and, and made national news. And this, this was a very interesting um, uh, incident that took place. A, uh, this is uh, from um, a national news story also. This, uh, the, 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 I'm going to quote, you're a disgrace, unquote. Chicago 911 dispatcher slams the mayor over surge in crime. A Chicago 911 dispatcher is slamming Second City Mayor Lori Lightfoot over the city's out-of-control crime wave, calling her a disgrace for mishandling the crisis. Dispatcher Keith Thornton, who went off on a viral online rant last week, said on Fox & Friends, that Lightfoot has turned Chicago into a, quote, death zone, unquote, by failing to back cops, adding, quote, the blood is on her hands. It's out of control, and the citizens of Chicago deserve to know what's being done behind closed doors and what's being told to them. It's all false. Now, here's what's really interesting. This uh, 911 dispatcher who who is by the way, been uh, rewarded for uh, for his work in the past um, and given commendations is also a retired police officer from a different a different uh, city. This officer or this dispatcher, when he goes to work, he sees on his screen the all of the the, the units that are available or that are actually working the streets. Right, that's. That's how they dispatch. That's how they dispatch units to, to crime by knowing where the where their patrol officers are. Well, the superintendent David Brown was in a meeting with a uh, a neighborhood and said, "We have plenty of cops. We have all the streets are going to be are fine. We have plenty of personnel out there." 
And this dispatcher chronicled the truth. And the truth was that there was like one patrol officer available throughout the entire precinct or two patrol officers, but it was some absolutely stunningly low number. And so what's happening is the people are being deceived by not only the mayor, but by the police leadership as well. They're, they're feeding false information to the very people who they have sworn an oath to protect. And until, until the people of these cities stand up and say, you know what, we're not, we're not going to take this anymore. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of this actually playing out. If you look at New York City, they just um, elected a retired police officer as the mayor of the city. Now, of course, you know, trying to turn a big ship around after literally years of uh, of, of this um, syndrome that's been taking place, the anti-law enforcement irrationality and the resulting diminishment of consequences for a crime uh, is going to take a long time. It can't, just can't happen overnight. And so um, I believe that what happened in New York, I'm hoping, is a symbol of what is going to take place in other areas of the country. Uh, one of the things that we're seeing, and, and I'm, I'm very hopeful that, th that this will result in a, a change in, uh, in district attorneys in Los Angeles and also in San Francisco, is that they, there are presently two recall efforts uh, that, are, that are in effect as we speak to recall the district attorney in um, in Los Angeles, George Gascon, and also in San Francisco, Chesa Bowden. The, the, the reason for this is because they were elected with millions of dollars being put into their coffers by uh, George Soros-funded organizations. This is taking place across America. And, and you'll, you'll hear me talking about this a lot because this is a symptomatic of, of uh, the degradation of the criminal justice system across America. There's, there's uh, many, many district attorneys, prosecutors being put into place that are uh, literally um, re reformers in one sense because they want to, quote, reform the criminal justice system. But that is just a term for making the criminal justice system um, useless. They don't want to prosecute the criminals. So, but by seeing a recall effort in Los Angeles and seeing a recall effort in San Francisco by the people who are being affected by the criminal activity in those cities, um, I think we're beginning to see an activist culture rising up uh, from the citizens who are, in, in essence, saying enough is enough. And this is exactly what happens, what needs to happen across America. Um, meanwhile, while criminal activity is just rampant, a tsunami of crime across America, what are the leaders doing? Well, here's something that's, this is uh, out of uh, the Police Tribune. NYPD mandate requires officers to record age, race, 
gender during all traffic stops. New York City police will have to complete mandatory paperwork noting the demographics of every cyclist and driver they pull off, pull over beginning January 1st of this year. Um, even if they don't take any action against them. The internal directive requires officers to note the age, gender, and race of every person they encounter during traffic stops to include those riding bikes. The new paperwork is being implemented in compliance with Local Law 45, which requires the New York Police Department to provide data on the number of vehicles uniformed officers stop. Now, the reason is, once again, we are, we are seeing this across America, um, a way to um, criticize the police for the, for, the, for the people that they're stopping. You know, law enforcement, um, uh, you, can, you can make statistical statistics look like anything, okay? So this is, this is all in the name of racial equity. That's, that's what all this is about. But I want to talk about the unintended consequences of this. So there's already mounds of paperwork that a cop has to, has, to, has to fill out every day. Mounds of paperwork. If you make an arrest, chances are in New York City, you're going to be off the streets for hours completing your paperwork. In fact, you may be still doing your paperwork while they are uh, tossing the guy that you just arrested out of jail with uh, with with a with a uh, a bench citation, um, but adding more and more paperwork on is part of the way that the system is trying to um, is trying to deny law enforcement officers the ability to enforce the laws. That's really what it comes down to. If you keep the cop off the street long enough, they're not going to make more stops. They're not going to make more arrests. And then if you provide a disincentive, like, oh man, I, I got to now fill out another form for simply doing my job. Then you see, you see what we call depolicing and depolicing is very, very real. It is a, uh, it is, a, um, affecting law enforcement across the nation. You're seeing a diminishment of arrests a major diminishment of arrests. You're seeing crime surging up, arrests going down, clearances in the toilet for, for, for major offenses like murder, armed robbery, rape. And this is all in, in, in the name of racial equity. Meanwhile, a disproportionate number of the victims are people of color. So you're, you're, what you're seeing is um, the unintended consequences are the people in the communities of color are being victimized at a, at a much higher rate while the police are being told you have to stop being so systemically racist, even though that is in fact not a reality. And that's when you see mandates like this in New York City. Um, that is all part of the effort to minimize law enforcement, not maximize it, which we should be doing in order to combat crime, but minimizing it. Um, let's look at, at, uh, at another story. Um, this is really, really disturbing to me, really disturbing to me, and it should be to you as well. We had, uh, at the end of the, the, this, this show, I do a segment called End of Watch, 
where I talk about the number of, I, I eulogize the officers who were killed in the line of duty uh, last, you know, between the last show and this. Um, this officer was killed in the line of duty. I want to read this story. It's, 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 it makes me sick. Illinois, this is from Fox News. Illinois police officer begged for her life before being shot dead with her own firearm. The Illinois police sergeant was pleading for her life moments before she was fatally shot with her own service weapon by a gunman in a hotel last week. At the time, the suspect Sullivan fired the fatal shots into Sergeant Ritmanic. Sergeant Ritmanic was pleading with them just to leave. You don't have to do this. Please just go. Please don't. She was desperately pleading for her life. And this is according to the uh, Kankakee County State's Attorney Jim Rowe said in, uh, in um, uh, his documents used to charge the offenders. Bradley Police Sergeant Marlene Ritmanic and Officer Tyler Bailey were shot December 29th while responding to the Comfort Inn along a highway in Kankakee County regarding barking dogs that were left in a vehicle. They found the room where the vehicle's possible owner was staying and were shot while talking to the people in that room. Uh, the officers were taken to nearby hospitals where Sergeant Ridmanic died and Bailey was listed in critical condition. The two suspects in this crime uh, were eventually taken into custody. Darius Sullivan and Alexandria Harris both taken into custody, both violent offenders. And the, the, the tragedy of this, that these two officers were shot, that, that, that literally this sergeant begged for her life um, is symptomatic of the cruelty and violence that is affecting law enforcement across the nation. And uh, the, the, the thought that these, that these suspects could in fact be let out on low bail or no bail is one of the harsh realities of what we're facing across America. Um, let, me, let me look, look at an, another thing that just took place. Man shoots fireworks at Oregon officers, tries to detonate more explosives. This is uh, from OregonLive.com. Springfield police took a man in custody Sunday morning after authorities said he repeatedly launched powerful fireworks at the officers. The man had a supply of blasting caps and commercial grade mortar type fireworks. Uh, police found the man on a local bike path after getting several early morning complaints about gunshots. When officers tried to talk to him, the man allegedly began shooting the fireworks towards them and their patrol cars. Uh, some of the officers uh, were uh, hospitalized with, um, with hearing injuries because of this. Now, I, I wanted to bring this up because this is, this is from Oregon, where the, um, the state uh, really fails to prosecute anybody who attacks law enforcement officers. And these officers were would have been justified in using deadly force against this individual, but chose not to. Now, why didn't they? That's a good question. Why did they subject themselves to serious injury and not use the force that was legally justified at the time that would have helped 
save them? And I think the answer is very clear. The answer is that they were afraid to use the proper amount of force because they were afraid of the consequences of using that force. And this is a dangerous, dangerous situation for law enforcement officers to be in. I spent some time up in Portland during the, the evenings of, of, of violence that was, being, um, that was taking place in the streets of Portland. And I, I had a chance to talk to a number of Portland officers, very highly trained, very highly motivated men and women uh, who were simply unable to even defend themselves because of the political power there. And, uh, and this, is, this is affecting many law enforcement officers across the country. So um, I'd like to get to, uh, to our segment of, uh, of End of Watch, and uh, we'll have more news next week. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. I want to put in a quick word and a solid word for Healthy Cell. Healthy Cell uh, is a product line of uh, gel-packed uh, multi-source vitamins and supplements that are targeted, I think, particularly to help patients recovering from COVID-19. That's my most frequent recommendation to patients in that application. The long COVID syndrome has a variety of neurologic as well as neuromuscular effects on the body. And as I revealed today on the McCullough Report, we now know the virus is in the body for a long period of time, uh, even up to 230 days after initial infection. So we need everything that Healthy Cell has to offer. Three products that I have in my house uh, used to boost the immune system. We need it as we're fighting off COVID-19 over a long period of time. Uh, the focus and memory product, particularly helping with brain fog and that frustrating uh, set of neurologic and actually psychiatric sometimes symptoms that develop after COVID-19. We get so frustrated with that brain fog and that fuzziness. Um, as we know now, the virus is in the brain. And then lastly, the REM sleep supplement which uh, restores the healthy sleep quality that no other supplement does. You know, many other uh, sleeping medications and supplements simply force people into sleep, what's called was shortening the sleep latency. That's the variable in a sleep study. This healthy cell is completely different. It actually improves the sleep quality. And the c concept here is that when sleep, sleep quality improves, one gets a more restful night of sleep, the next day is better. So therefore there's better uh, opportunity to exercise and have a healthier diet. There's fewer stress hormones. And then the next night of sleep, again with healthy cell REM sleep supplement taken on a consistent basis is another quality night of sleep. And then that uh, very favorable pattern sets in in the human body. One of the things I tell patients is on vitamins and supplements, use them daily and use them consistently. They're not start stop uh, types of products. We use them daily and use them consistently and then expect over several months you'll start to see changes in your body and with this product line I can tell you you'll like what you feel. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. 
poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Now, never before in our history have we witnessed the level of hatred that is now being waged against our law enforcement. While anarchist groups create havoc and overwhelm our first responders, these same groups and their corporate supporters are calling for the police forces to be shrunk and defunded. What can you and I do to make a difference? How can we stand up for what is right and to show our support? That's what I'm going to tell you about this incredible new platform. It's called shoptotheright.com. And it's a new shopping platform that will help you find businesses that align with your values. They feature products made in America. They support veteran-owned businesses, as well as our law enforcement community. This is a time when we need to stick together. We need to shop together, and we need to support each other. It's time for you and I to make some noise and stand up to protect our country. And one easy way to do that is to shop and give our money to companies that don't seek to destroy our way of life. So join the fight for liberty. ShopToTheRight.com. Support those American businesses that support law enforcement and veterans. liberty and the pursuit of 2022 is upon us. Happy New Year, my fellow Americans. It was Bill Vaughn who reminded us an optimist stays up until midnight to see the new year in. A pessimist stays up to make sure the old year leaves. Here's to all being an optimist. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. And now joining us from Tucson, Arizona, is Sergeant Betsy Smith. Sergeant Betsy Smith, retired law enforcement officer with more than uh, almost three decades of service, uh, a law enforcement trainer and the national spokesman for the National Police Association. Betsy, thank you so much for joining me here on the show today. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for having me. So. Uh, there's a couple things that, that I want to talk about. First of all, your law enforcement history um, has been as a, as a, a line officer, a line supervisor, a trainer for law enforcement officers across the country. And you are the spokesman for the National Police Association, which uh, represents cops from all over the country. 
Uh, we've talked in the past about some of the issues facing American law enforcement today, and I want to talk about a couple stories that have uh, recently made the news and, uh, and, and get into the reasons behind some of these stories and, uh, and, and what your take is on how this is going to affect American law enforcement. So the first story, they're both, they're both related, although they're from different parts of the country. The first is uh, Pittsburgh City Council votes in favor of banning traffic stops for minor violations is what they call them. Um, and uh, it, it, I'll, I'll just read the first couple lines. Pittsburgh City Council voted eight to one to stop enforcing minor traffic offenses. They will prevent police officers from stopping drivers for things like a broken taillight, the placement of a registration plate, out of date inspection. Critics say these type of traffic stops involve a disproportionate number of drivers of color or those struggling financially. Officers will instead issue drivers fines or citations through the mail. Now, that's one of the, uh, that's one of the headlines. The second one comes from the Washington, state of Washington, which we know has recently created a series of laws that literally make it almost impossible to do policing. This one, Washington lawmakers seek lower penalty for fatal drive-by shootings to boost, quote, racial equality, unquote. Uh, the Washington lawmakers are considering a bill that would lessen the penalty for fatal drive-by shootings in order to promote racial equality. What are your thoughts on this? <laughs> All right, let's look at Washington State uh, and the drive-by shootings, which I'm, I'm almost speechless and was when I first read that. There is nothing more racist than what they are trying to do in Washington State by reducing the penalties for drive-by shootings, assuming that most drive-by shooters are people of color. That is the very definition of racism. So it, it, it just, it's absurd on its face. And this is once again, the absolutely infantilization of American legislature uh, and, and legislators trying to do what they think is good for people of color or, you know, whatever group they are trying to play to. So, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I, that is just one of the most childish notions I've ever uh, seen in the last several years. And frankly, Randy, it's one of the most racist coming out of Washington State. Well, and let, you know, let's, let's examine this a little bit. So drive-by shootings, generally speaking, drive-by shootings are committed by gang members against gang members. That's, that's the long and short of it. So the people who are dying in these fatal shootings, drive-bys, are generally speaking, people of color, Hispanic and black. So in essence, the state, the state of Washington wants to lessen the penalties for killing people of color. Well, and that's the thing, and that's what we have been dealing with for the last 19 months. Let, you know, let's go back to um, the, the uh, meteoric rise of Black Lives Matter in a post-George Floyd era. And the whole point was, oh, we're gonna save black lives. We're gonna save people of color from the, from the evil cops. And yet for the last uh, 19 months, what have we seen? 
a rise in homicide uh, in the United States like we have never seen before. And the 54% of those homicide victims in the last year were people of color. So we've got to have a serious conversation, A, about criminality, and B, about victims. But we can't just talk about victims and not talk about the criminals. Well, so is, doesn't, it, <laughs> doesn't it appear to you that what we have seen over the last couple of years is a, um, an embracing of criminality where we are completely forgetting or, or not even considering the victims of serious violent crime. It, doesn't that appear to you victims to be- Victims have become, they've become irrelevant, Randy, unfortunately. And uh, uh, when, when we look at the crime statistics, we, we all, the, all the really the left, and let's just be honest, wants to look at is, oh, people who have been quote unquote victimized by law enforcement. And, and yet they refuse to look at who's victimizing people of color and who are committing the crimes. So let's, let's take a look at St. Louis, all right? Um, squad member Cori Bush, uh, that's her city and her legislative district. Um, she has managed to defund the St. Louis Police Department and take a significant amount of, uh, amount of money away from the county as well. She is trying to uh, do away with the county jail there. She has encouraged uh, protests, violent demonstrations. And yet, who is one of the leading cities in homicide? St. Louis, Missouri. And the vast majority of the offenders and the victims are African-American. So whose law, I mean, I'm sorry, whose lives are people like Cori Bush saving? They're not saving African-American lives. You know, nobody, right. nobody in her district would say that. And yet all she wants to talk about is how evil the police are. And that's what's happening in Washington state. So we're going to, we're going to say, well, we can't, it's racist. It's, and again, I just want to say how absurd it is that I'm even going to say this. It's racist to punish people for doing drive-by shootings, especially if they are people of color. That's insanity. And one of the things that we need to see is we need to see victims groups stand up and talk about the absurdity of this. You know, Washington State uh, recently passed a series of laws that, uh, that, that make policing uh, almost impossible to accomplish. Uh, they, they, they have changed the laws to, um, to basically punish the police. And, and the, the reality of it is that it is, it is seeing a vast uh, increase in criminality and at the same time, a tremendous decrease in the number of arrests taking place. So the, the, the entire state legislature has put this into place and this and the people who are who are be you know you said you said something really critically important that the victims have become irrelevant and i think this is really really where we need to concentrate that that the fact that that the victims who uh uh you know encompass the people in all communities are being treated like they, 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 they don't even matter anymore 
And that's one of the big frustrations. Look at my native Chicago. Again, they had record homicides in 2021. And that's Chicago. We're kind of we're kind of the record setters when it comes to homicides and violent crime anyway. But we set a record in Chicago even for the city of Chicago. And yet, what is the mayor talking about? She's talking about masking, <clears throat> vaxxing, and, and you know she's kind of trying to blame the prosecutor's office, who has some skin in that game for sure, but she does not talk about the victims of violent crime. All she talks about is how she's trying to protect people from the evils of the Chicago Police Department and what Mayor Lightfoot does is blame the victims of extreme retail crime, the high-end <laughs> smash and grabs. She right. has taken to blaming those victims for making it too easy for people to victimize them. Again, like you said, we are now in this bizarro world of victim blaming, victim shaming, and and it's all in these far left um, Democrat-run cities and counties and states. You know, I there was a, a, a news article that came out uh, not too long ago. There was a uh, you know you and I when you when you first became a police officer, how many people took the police test at the same time that you did? Oh my gosh, hundreds and nearly a thousand when I took it in, in 1980. And they were hiring four police officers. Exactly, exactly. It was a, such a competitive uh, environment in order to get a job. In fact, statistically, at, at the time that, that you joined, in, and uh, of course, I'm, I'm a little bit older, so I'm not even going to talk about the time I joined, uh, that, that statistically, it was more difficult to become a police officer than get into medical school. And it was, and it was yes. that, and it was that environment that you know you 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 got you got a better grade of, of police officer as a result. There was just a police test in St. Louis. You know how many people showed up? Zero, zero Amazing. people showed up to get a job as a police officer in St. Louis. And I and I think you know you just mentioned uh, you know the environment there. You got a, you have a mayor that hates the police. And wants to defund them. You have a, a Cory Bush. You have a, 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 an activist prosecutor who doesn't want to prosecute anyone for for criminality. And then we have this the, the story in Pennsylvania, where the where the Pittsburgh City Council says we don't want you making car stops for minor violations. Now, how is this going to affect proactive law enforcement? Well, and we've been hearing about this for a while, and you know. It, it, and I, you know, this comes partially out of the original stop that Kim Potter made, you know, where she stopped this, the guy that she eventually killed um, for an expired tag. But, you know, this has been happening and we've been hearing it in the last couple of years. And what people fail to understand is it's not the police officers who turn a quote unquote routine traffic stop into a violent encounter. It's the person either in the vehicle or driving the vehicle. So doing away with stopping people for minor violations is not going to be helpful for anyone. And what people are going to realize, let, let's look at uh, expired tags. Okay, so we don't want to stop people anymore for expired tags. 
So what is the incentive for anybody to ever renew their license plates? So now people are running around with invalid license plates. And so then they get into an accident. Well, invalid, invalid license plates generally negates their insurance. So now we're going to have innocent people who are driving around getting into crashes with people who are uninsured, who don't have license plates. And that is just going to spiral and law abiding citizens are going to get tired of it. The problem is, is while we're having this discussion and people are saying, yeah, what's an expired tag? No big deal. What's a taillight out? No big deal. Those things, uh, create an atmosphere of lawlessness and we're now seeing that lawlessness you know pennsylvania is not the first area to talk about just stop doing minor uh minor traffic stops it we're going to take away a real good investigative tool for cops let's not forget that timothy mcveigh the oklahoma city bomber right uh was stopped and taken into custody on a minor uh, traffic violation. And you and I have both made very uh, tons of traffic stops for minor violations. And we have um, done everything from help sex assault victims to uh, getting large amounts of drugs off of people to uh, stopping armed robbers. You know, those minor violations, those probable cause violations give police officers and ability to investigate. And again, what I'd like our legislators to talk about, and that city council, for example, is let's talk about who turns these traffic stops violent. It's right. not the police. Right, exactly. And, and, and by taking away a valuable tool of the police uh, to, uh, to in, uh, make investigatory stops, they are literally putting the lives of their citizens in greater jeopardy and and but there is no discussion about this i mean you, you we hear this this you know this word police reform and I, I cringe when i hear the word bail reform or police reform um talk about bail reform let's let's there was a story that came out just today um that and and this is where a victims group is becoming active down in Harris County, Texas. Uh, Harris County, of course, has, a, has an activist prosecutor, District Attorney Kim Ogg, that doesn't want to prosecute anybody for anything. And, and much like, you know, is happening in, in Los Angeles and San Francisco. Uh, but this victims group just revealed something really interesting. 143 murders were committed in the last couple of years by people either out on low bail or no bail for violent offenses, including murder. This is Absolutely. astounding. And we see similar stats in uh, New York City, in Cook County, Illinois, where Chicago is. You know, there are so many um, offenders that are out on felony bail with very uh, little bond amounts or no bond amounts. Remember, no cash bail is, is the trend. And again, who is this helping? Violent criminals. It's not helping crime victims. And, you know, and, and here's the thing. American law enforcement, the National Police Association works with the Rasmussen organization to do polling. Poll after poll after poll 
American voters are telling us that they want, they don't want bail reform. They want more police officers. They appreciate their police officers. They don't want them defunded and they want to see a tougher stance on crime. And these are voters from all over the country, from all parties, from all, uh, you know, races and, and all of that. And yet the, the small minority of these activist groups are the ones who get all the press, all the sound bites. And I think what American law enforcement truly is going to have to start doing is encouraging more participation in this discussion by crime victims. Because I really believe that a lot of people, because the media doesn't talk as much about violent crime as they should. And I think that it's going to be up to the American public, including people who have been crime victims, to speak up and say, hey, we don't want these reforms. We want American law enforcement to be able to do their jobs and we're going to support them. You know, it's, it's almost, um, when I use the word unbelievable, I mean it in the strictest sense. It's almost unbelievable that the number of murder people arrested on murder charges are being released on their own recognizance to, to and and of course what do they 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 reoffend they have nothing to lose and yet this is called reform it is it's astounding and and it's it appears that that the the politicians and the political quote leaders that are that are um you know putting these these policies into place are absolutely tone deaf to what their people actually want. Well, and don't forget, this this goes back to the, the lionization of people like Michael Brown, who was uh, rightfully shot by a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. Um, it goes back to, the, to the, the exaltation of George Floyd. Yeah, what happened to George Floyd was terrible, that he died in police custody, but George Floyd was a criminal. He was a violent felon. He had stuck a pistol into the stomach of a pregnant woman while his buddies uh, stole everything they could from her house. The media and the activists and some politicians have lionized criminals to the point where they are seen as um, people that we are to admire or people that we are to provide extreme assistance to. And in the meantime, the crime victims have gotten pushed to the side. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we, you and I could talk about this for days. And in fact, we probably will. Uh, but we're running out of time. And I really want to thank you, uh, Betsy, for, for taking the time to come on. Betsy Smith, once again. Uh, retired police sergeant and uh, the national spokesman for the National Police Association. Betsy, thanks so much for joining me here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. And if you want to know more about her, go to the National Police Association. So let's get into, um, uh, I, want to, I want to tell you a little bit about the Wounded Blue. And the Wounded Blue is an organization that is helping injured and disabled officers all across this nation. It is a nationwide charitable organization, a 501c3 nonprofit, that consists of injured and disabled officers from across the country who continue to serve 
by serving other injured and disabled officers. It's an amazing organization and they are doing amazing work. Um, if you are a law enforcement officer and you are facing struggles because of either physical injury or emotional psychological injury, this is what this organization exists for. Contact us at uh, our website, which is thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. Reach out to us on Facebook, if you choose to, at The Wounded Blue. And if you would like to support law enforcement officers, this is a great way to do it because these, these men and women are, uh, are struggling from not just the physical injuries, but the emotional and psychological traumas that affect every law enforcement officer. So check out thewoundedblue.org. We have an amazing documentary film. If you go to Amazon and uh, look at The Wounded Blue and you will find it there also on YouTube. There is a six part series called Voices of the Blue. I urge you to take a look at that. This, at this portion of the show, this is end of watch where unfortunately we talk about the officers who were killed in the line of duty or gave their lives. Sergeant Marlene Ritmanik was shot and killed as she and another officer investigated a noise complaint at the Comfort Inn in Illinois. The officers had responded to the motel at approximately 9.30 p.m. to investigate reports of barking dogs that were left unattended in a vehicle. They located the room where the vehicle's owner was staying and contacted the occupants. During the encounter, the occupants attacked and shot both officers. Sergeant Ritmanik and other officer were transported to a local hospital. Sergeant Ritmanik succumbed to her wounds. The occupants fled the motel and were arrested after a multi-state manhunt. She had served with the Bradley Police Department for 14 years, and she is survived by her wife. Corporal Mike Sanchez, Amarillo Police Department, Texas. End of watch, Monday, December 27, 2021. Corporal Mike Sanchez died from complications as a result of contracting COVID-19 in the line of duty. He served with Amarillo Police for 16 years. He is survived by his wife and five children. Sergeant Christopher Mortensen of the Wilkes-Barre Police Department, Pennsylvania. End of watch, Monday, December 27th, 2021. Sergeant Christopher Mortensen died from complications as a result of contracting COVID-19 in the line of duty. He served with Wilkes-Barre Police for 20 years. He is survived by his wife and son. Each of these men and women gave their lives in the line of duty, protecting and serving their communities. If you want to know more information about the line of duty deaths, there is a website that I urge you to go to. It's odmp.org. That's officerdownmemorialpage.org. And there you will see the statistics and you can read about the line of duty deaths of every law enforcement officer in America. So this is, uh, we come to the end of our program today. I want to thank you for taking the time to spend some time uh, with me here. If you want to connect with me, uh, you can contact me on Facebook at uh, The Voice for American Law Enforcement. If you want to send me a message, if you want to help the Wounded Blue, you can contact me, Randy at thewoundedblue.org. That's Randy at thewoundedblue.org. I uh, welcome your comments and your contacts. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Randy Sutton, retired police lieutenant and the host of your show here at The Voice for American Law Enforcement on AmericaOutloud.com.